G'day, 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 and welcome everyone. That's our resident scaredy cat, Kate. And that's the horror junkie, Dominic. And you're listening to Shit and Bricks. A podcast where we talk shit about some scary stuff. The sort of fear your asshole knows about. As always, subscribe, rate, and review us. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Shit and Bricks Podcast. All right, drop your dax, pop a squat, and let's get into it. <laughs> oh shit, I gotta record our video. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> we are on a roll today. Hi, Kate. Hi, Dom. How are you? You were concerned earlier because you couldn't string a sentence together and you were worried you were having some sort of aneurysm and I didn't ask you. So now I'm asking, are you okay? I'm I'm okay, but really quickly, I've had some a weird couple of days. On Sunday night, my body just decided that it didn't need sleep. Oh, and I'm pretty good at putting myself to bed. I've done it for, you know, a few <laughs> decades now. I've done it for at least five years, like at least. Yeah, but <laughs> it just was like not having it, not happy, Jan. And wow. I, I didn't, like, I just didn't sleep the entire night. It got to like 5 6 o'clock, and I'm like, well, fine, fuck it. I'm just going <laughs> to go about my day. I'll just get up. Did you, were you just in bed the whole time, like just lying there? Well, for most of it, and yeah. I did I did my book, I did like mind-numbing TV, I did breathing, meditation, everything, all my normal tricks and wow. nothing worked. So I didn't sleep that night. And then last night, um, a certain somebody was in my bed and they could not sleep either. So Was it Santa? Was it Santa Claus? <laughs> it was the Easter Bunny. Oh, the so Tooth Fairy. It is much closer Santa. to Easter, yeah. A menage au croix. <laughs> Anyway, how are you, Kate? How is your um, your house scenario going at the moment? My house scenario? Yes. What do you mean? I believe there's someone trying to break into your house. <laughs> <laughs> there is, and it's not Santa. Well, I mean, I... Firstly, my house scenario, before we recorded this, I just cleaned like a demon for the past hour because I was... Uh, I was away from my home all weekend. My incredible uh, students are doing um, all shook up as the school production and I'm helping out uh, in doing a little bit of directing here and there, co-directing, and uh, they were working really hard on that. So I was at school on Friday, Saturday and Sunday. So Oof. I didn't get a lot of time to do my normal weekend clean. Um so I was just doing stuff then and it's great. So I've got the smell of fresh clothes drying in my study, but bloody magpies are terrorizing me. And if you haven't seen the video on our social media, I implore you to do so and send some help while you are at it because they will fly into my windows. I have um, reflective film on one of my windows, which is apparently uh. they think it's a bloody like threat. They're just looking at their own reflection and going, oh, piss off, mate. Oh, you want to come here, my, my fucking nest? Oh, come here, I can get you, mate. And he's attacking itself. Yeah, we've got Eshe magpies, yes. and I love it. Trent from Punchy is attacking my house. Oh, that's an old reference. Um, but, yes, I'm being terrorised by magpies. So, you know, who knows how long I've got. If they crack a window, I'm going to be absolutely gropable. It's quite possible they are very violent, so just be lucky you do not get swooped if you're, you know, from the UK or the States. And if you have no idea what we're talking about, get online and look oh, up magpies and how stories. vicious they are. Oh, wish I'm, do you know what? I'm writing that down. 
I'm going to do an episode on magpies. You'll, and then we'll, ex- we'll explain to you. I'm writing it on my piece of newspaper that's been sitting on my table for about six months. I'm sure Chelsea will be absolutely thrilled by an episode on birds. <laughs> she will. That's her favourite thing. Oh, God. All right. Hey, Dom. I, yes. Could you do me a flavour? Mm. Because I couldn't pick one today. Um, are you able to do a Boo Pod Network shout out for us today? Oh my God, I would absolutely be delighted Yippee! to do one because I've been binging one of our Boo Pod Network uh, pods called Mums, Mysteries and Murder. Yeah! And Marty and Effie are from Edinburgh. Uh, well, they're in Edinburgh. And the, again, you just give me any sort of British accent and especially, you know, Edinburgh. Such a beautiful place. I cannot wait to go visit there maybe later this year. So I might even have to look up Marty and Effie. But they've got this incredibly funny, um, similar sort of setup to you and I, Kate. They tell a story once each a week. Um, they love their pop culture references at the top of every episode. They like give us a rundown on what they're watching, what they like and don't like about it. Um, they're practically us, but just Edinburghian, Ed- Edinburghian, Edinburghians. Edinburghians. Yeah. Edinburghians. <laughs> I think we both. <laughs> I can butcher that. It's so early. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I would highly recommend go and listen to their stories. Um, there's some, some ones in there that you probably would not know about. They, they don't do just the big name ones. They do some really random rare stuff as well. And they love, you know, doing some Aussie stories too. So, you know, shout out to anyone that gives Aussie some love. So thank you, Marty and Effie. Uh, Check out their socials. But in the meantime, here is their promotion. Boop-bidi-boop. Hi, I'm Marty. And I'm Effie. And we are the Mums, Mysteries and Murder podcast. Each month, we take turns bringing you mysteries and true crime stories from our respective homelands, Australia and Scotland. But be warned, there's no shrimps on the barbie or we jimmies. <laughs> Excellent accent, Marty. No one has shrimps on the barbie in Australia. It's prawns, and oh. they don't even have prawns on the barbie. Oh. Anyway. Disappointed. You can find us on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and join us over on Mums, Mysteries and Murder on Instagram. It's not big or clever, but it is entertaining. How cute are they, Kate? It's so cute. And the accents, I can't. Yeah, right? It's too many. It's too many cutenesses for me. So that was Mums, Mysteries and Murder. <gasps> Speaking of murder, the story I'm going to tell you today doesn't really have anything to do with it. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, we're up to three consecutive weeks of you delivering the goods. We're bringing it. Yeah. We're bringing it. And today I have a story which was brought to me. I mean, she's already got one mention this pub, but my sister Chelsea, shout out to you. But also uh, there is an episode on the Hollywood Crime Scene podcast, which is, you know, sadly not part of our Boo Pod Network, but a fabulous podcast. And they go into a lot of detail. Um, so if you feel like there's any details that you want to hear more about, I can, I'll discuss that episode a little bit later. Yeah. But today is Wrong Place, Wrong Time, Part 3. And we are going to be talking about Dorothy Gibson. 
Oh, I'm a friend of Dorothy. Dorothy. Oh, Dor- <laughs> Dotty, my girl. Uh, now, Dorothy was in the wrong place in the wrong time, not once, uh, but twice, uh, quite significantly. So, naturally, last week we were talking about um, Yamaguchi, who survived two atomic bombs. If you didn't yeah. listen to that story, please go back and listen to it. It was fascinating. I was reading it and I was like, I'm loving this, just reading about it. Um, but yes, please go and listen to Wrong Place, Wrong Part Time, part one and part two. Um, in the meantime, please stay and listen to part number three. I'm now, ready for this. We have, uh, I have a few sources. Um, I'm not going to mention them all because I took like one line of text from something and read a whole bunch of other ones. But <laughs> a key uh, page that I used for some of my information was thehistorypress.co.uk. Oh, yeah. And it was an article that was written by uh, Holly Hewlett. Now, I wanted to read Holly's little bio that she had on her page just so that she didn't feel like I was stealing her stuff, um, which I did. Okay. Holly is a London-based ancient and modern history graduate from Oxford University with a particular passion for the history of gender and emotion. <gasps> she can, I know, how cool. Right. Um, she can often be found drinking tea, watching films, or crying over love letters from the Great War. Same by... Uh, for more stories like this, head over to My History Cafe or follow her on Twitter slash Instagram at My History Cafe. So there you go. Shout out Holly. You Shout are badass. Shout out to Holly. Yeah. All right. So do you want to hear a little bit about Dorothy? Look, I would love to, as Thank I goodness. said, Because this fan. entire episode is about her. So if you had have yeah. just said no, it would have been an eight minute and 40 second episode. So, yeah, see you, bye. bye. <laughs> Dorothy Winifred Gibson. 1889 <gasps> to 1946. Sorry, can we just pause on the first fucking sentence? Of course sentence? we can. Because her middle name is Winifred yeah. and my cat's name is Winifred. Is it really? Yeah, I Winnie. Mean, two things. Okay, Winnie. There we go. I got you. Yeah. I was about to say, I was like, I don't think Winifred is the name of your cat, but I know Winnie as Winnie. Sorry to interrupt you so early on. but Not at all. Please interrupt I think it's me. such a good name. I do too. Um, also, shout out to Winifred, who was the mum in Mary Poppins um, and was one of the original. Well, they sung a whole song about suffragettes. So, yeah. hell yeah, Winifreds. Uh, but we're talking about Dorothy Winifred Gibson today. Yep. Uh, she's argu- arguably one of the most fascinating women of the 20th century. Her story is more deserving of its own film or TV show, and yet, if it was ever to appear on the screen, it would be in serious danger of being criticised as too unbelievable or (laughs) far-fetched. But, believe me, everything I'm about to tell you about Dorothy Gibson is true. Boom, boom, boom. (laughs) Dorothy Gibson was born in Hoboken, New Jersey, on the 17th of May in 1889. Between 1906 and 1911, so she was 17 to 22, she -hmm. appeared on stage as a singer and a dancer in a number of theatre and vaudeville productions. And in 1909, she began modelling for Harrison Fisher, a famous commercial artist. Dorothy soon became Fisher's favourite muse and her image was regularly seen on postcards, merchandising products, and even on the covers of magazines like Cosmopolitan. Wow. Mm -hmm. Now, during this time, Dorothy also met and married a pharmacist named George Henry Battier Jr. The In, names. I'm, I know. I'm just here for the, the names. They're so elaborate and they the lifestyle, great. like vaudeville, it's pharmacy. Excellent era. I enjoyed it when I was there. 
Um, <laughs> I worked at that pharmacy, in fact. Um, now, in 1911, another good year, Dorothy began appearing in movies, uh, starting out as an extra, but she soon took the lead roles uh, in a series of films by Eclair Studios. She was praised for her natural acting style and comedic flair, and she was a huge hit and arguably the first actress to be promoted as a star in her own right. So Dorothy's, she's paving the way here. Right? You've picked pretty much someone that's exactly like you. Um, I mean, yeah. I haven't started, I haven't modelled for Cosmo. Oh, okay. I can try. Yeah, I think you should. Okay. I think you should be on the front cover because you're Give a beautiful a woman. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. I just had a flashback to what, like my, I posted an Instagram during COVID lockdown of my um, working from home couture mm. and it was uh, socks and Birkenstocks and tracksuit pants. I think it's a vibe. I haven't seen that on the cover of Cosmo. Yeah, please tell us if you've done the exact same thing at home. Please do. Please, like, tell us right now. If you're wearing socks and Birkenstocks right now, power to you. Send us photos, actually. We want to see you in your your thongs and uh, slippers. And for those... If you're listening (laughs) in America, we mean (laughs) flip-flops. Please (laughs) clarify that. No smut, please. We're a very straight-laced bunch, us. (laughs) All right, so Dorothy has started, uh, you know, lead role. She's acting in these films. Now, at the same time as her movie career was taking off, Dorothy began began a six-year affair with one of the studio's producers, the mm-hmm. married movie tycoon Jules Brulatour, Br- who was Ooh. 19 years her senior. So he's, Goodness. you know, older guy. Um, I'll talk about that relationship a little bit later. Okay. Uh, now, the first place that Dorothy found herself in the wrong place at the wrong time was on uh, March 17th in 1912. She had starred in a string of movies. So she was, you know, super popular. She's doing all of her movies. She started to, uh, yeah, get a little bit run down, a little bit tired uh, because there was just a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And her uh, and her mum, Pauline, took a trip to Europe. So they spent time in Venice and Genoa and then Paris. Now, while they were in Paris, um, Dorothy's boyfriend, Brulator, uh, I should say, I keep um, mixing that up. I did it last night when I was re- reading this, so just bear with me. Yeah. Uh, he called her and he was like, babe, like that's enough. We need you to come back for two reasons. Um, one, I need you to make some more movies and more money because I'm big producer, studio head guy. Um, also, I miss you, babe. Come back. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, no doubt that was the phone call. Um, so Dorothy and mum are in Paris and uh, Dorothy says to mum, hey, mum, the studio exec that I'm definitely not having an affair with because that would be really bad. He needs me to go back to work. Uh, so off they go and they're like, how are we going to get home? Let's pop down to the docks and we'll book two tickets on a little ship by the name of the Titanic. I love how random that is. Like two things, right? You can't just hop on a flight and get back in a day type thing. Mm-mm. Back then it's like, okay, well, I'm probably going to be 40 years old by the time that the bloody ship comes in. Yeah. Um, but going to just the docks and going, oh, you know, just the biggest ship in the world's history. Let's just see if we can get a couple of tickies. Yeah. Good timing. Let's just pop on the old RMHS Titanic and mm-hmm. see what happens. RMS? RMS. RMS, Because it was yeah. not... Her Majesty's ship. No. Is that right? 
Her Royal Majesty's. Yeah, it was just HMA, HMAS. Okay. Uh, anyway, I got hung up on that. Now, the boat. They were on the boat. Now, I am a bit obsessed, uh, obsessed with the Titanic stories. So the Hollywood Crime Scene podcast that I mentioned earlier, they do a whole series of them. I think there's like four episodes. Super deep dive into pretty much every facet of that based on the books, based on, you know, movie versus reality. It's, it's really, really fascinating. So that's where I did first hear this story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if, if you want to hear more, go and listen to that. But uh, Dorothy booked their tickets on the maiden voyage. So it's like, yeah, it's wild that they mm. just happened upon this ship. Let's just do that. Uh, so they boarded at Cherbourg on the 10th of April. Yeah. Now, you know how every week I discover something about the internet um, that I love. <laughs> you find this most <laughs> random things. This one is great because you obviously know of Encyclopedia Britannica, but do. do you know about Encyclopedia Titanica? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sad to say that I am familiar with that, but yes, uh, that's most true. people would not be. I know. And I feel like we've definitely addressed this before, but for those of you that don't know, Dominic is one of the biggest Titanic fans from the film specifically, but no doubt you've done a lot of reading and stuff around it. And mm. yeah, so I'm probably not telling you anything that you do not know, but Encyclopedia Proteotitanica.org. <laughs> um, it's a fascinating website. They have everything. They've got every passenger, more or less. They have their... The date that they boarded, they have what class they were in. They have like oh, all their information. It's it's fascinating. Yeah. Now on that site as well, they had a link to an article where Dorothy Gibson recounted what had happened the night that she was on the Titanic. Loved it. So here it is for all of you lovely listeners. Dorothy says, four of us had been breaking the rules of the boat by playing bridge on Sunday evening. After the steward had told us that he must put out the lights, we begged to finish the rubber and have some Poland water. Ooh. I don't know what Poland water is. Um, Probably but... something alcoholic. Oh, so true. We'll look that up. Uh, now, these ceremonies over, I walked down to my room at just 11.40. No sooner had I stepped into my apartment than there came a suddenly, uh, then suddenly came a long, drawn-out, sickening crunch. To find out what it might mean, I went back to the A-deck. One of the officers explained that we had collided with an iceberg and that it would probably cause a slight delay. <laughs> so I went... Oh, if mm. only he knew. Uh, so I went back to get my mother. At the same time, I picked up my sweater and my coat and we headed back out onto A-deck. Now, I could just picture her storming back into the room after talking to this guy and going, Mum! Get your coat. We're leaving. Get your shit. <laughs> out we we'll, go. <laughs> we'll have a shot on the way out. <laughs> Done. We'll get some more Poland water up on the A-deck. Let's do it. Uh, now, when they get back up onto A-deck, two men helped uh, fasten the preservers, life preservers, and taking our rugs, we hurried to the boat deck. Uh, there was a couple named Mr. and Mrs. Astor. Now, they were standing near us, but they were called away by some message what message could be more important at this moment than getting on a lifeboat? I don't know. And uh, is this the, the Astors, like the, the Astors? Astors, yes. Oh. Yeah, the Fancy Pantsers. Wow. As I like to call them. That was their like, wow. nickname. 
They were. Um, shortly after, we were ordered into the lifeboats. We did not want to obey, uh, but as some men made my mother get in, of course, I followed. The boat swung so on the davits, and then I had to jump in as it came towards me. And I remember that I fell over myself as I slid down to the bottom of the boat. Ooh. So this thing is like swinging on the side of this ship. And they're like, Dot, jump in, doll. <laughs> Your mum's all right. Hop in. Why, why is parkour just this thing that keeps <laughs> happening all over the fucking... <laughs> Oh, imagine that. Like a minute ago you were just playing some bridge or whatever and now you're, gosh, now you're leaping into boats. Swinging from the divots. Swinging from the divots. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Dorothy went on to say, the discipline of the crew was wretched. I need to use that term more often. (laughs) For nobody knew what to do. She was really, yeah, she was very understanding of the situation by the sounds of Many people refused to trust themselves to the lifeboats and we were finally lowered down the side with only 26 aboard. Now that's a whole other kettle of fish, the whole amount of people. But anyhow, so surprisingly, people didn't want to yeet themselves off the side of the big boat and into this swinging tiny little thing where like it was, yeah, where the discipline of the crew was wretched. (laughs) So they were like, no, you guys go. We'll get the next one. Thank you. Um, Now it was... Actually lowering the boat, Dorothy went on to say that this was the most perilous part of the whole adventure because first one end would drop and then the other. Mm. We were absolutely silent until we reached the waves. Then we began to realise our plight. There was no plug in the boat, so the lifeboat itself started to flood and the passengers had to use their undies and socks and stuff to plug the holes in the boat because nobody checked that um, (laughs) before... They went into the water, so that's awkward for them. So now um, I see Dorothy asking Pauline, Mum, take, <laughs> your, take your knickers off. <laughs> take your knickers off, doll. Stuff them in the hole. Um, well, she probably had the that. biggest knickers, so. I know. Now, I mean, it was reported that that was actually Dorothy's idea to do that. Um, oh. I, I wasn't there myself, so I can't, can't guarantee that. But the word on the street is that Dot was telling everybody to plug in that hole so that they would potentially survive Mm. um so they had uh no light no food and not a single rower putting two men at lookout the rest bent to the oars and as soon as as soon as we were at a safe distance from the titanic we turned to watch the great liner settling gradually down into the water it seemed like a nightmare the lights flickered out deck by deck until the bow was quite submerged then with a lurch the titanic slid forward under the waves Instantly, there sounded a rumble like Niagara with two dull explosions. A pause of silence held everything and everybody spellbound until the stern shot back into sight and immediately sunk again. Then there burst out the most ghastly cries, shrieks, yells and moans that a a mortal could ever imagine. No one can describe the frightful sounds that gradually died away to nothing. Everyone was cheerful in his suffering and one of our men named Orga was simply splendid. He gave his outer clothing, even his gloves, to various women and wrapped others in the sail. The steward told us that if the boats were filled, then not more than a third of those on the Titanic could have escaped. Mm. And they were sitting in a boat with 25 other people. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those fascinating things that I really would have loved to have been in that meeting when they decided how many 
lifeboats were needed mm. because also in that podcast that I listened to, it was announced that, well, that brought to the attention that there was no regulations no. for ships of that size to have a certain number of lifeboats. So for those of you listening who don't know much about that part of the story, somebody just went into a meeting and said, oh, what, like, what looks the best? What's going to mm-hmm. not like clutter up the deck? Because we want more deck space. Like this is this ship will never sink. It's fancy pants. We're all good. So why don't we just have enough lifeboats that only a third of the passengers could fit into if they were full? Mm-hmm. I the don't... sheer arrogance of yeah. of people back then, and that's also why, like today, when anyone on a plane or anyone that does anything that needs very strict safety guidelines and stuff, I go stop complaining. Exactly like, right. Just ha- get over it. it yeah. It's not, the whole point is it's not going to kill you, right? Yeah. So just yeah. sit there and watch the safety video. Exactly You'll right. Survive. Oh, I know. Um, sidebar, I would like to ask you at some stage, what's your favorite safety video that you've ever seen? Okay. Because some airlines do them a bit differently. So can you or someone remind me, please, of yep. that I've asked you that? Because that popped into my mind. Now, all of this disaster is happening. Dorothy's recounting what's going on. Uh, they're essentially have just watched the Titanic sink into the, the water. They're in this lifeboat. They're freezing. Uh, so she and 26 other people in her lifeboat shivered through the long night. At dawn the next day, um, the Carpathia rescued the lifeboat along with 700 other survivors. After her rescue, Gibson slept for 26 hours straight. Sure. Fair enough. Why not? Um, now it's really hard for us to imagine the terrors of that night and the emotional damage that it caused to those who survived. After the event, Dorothy told the moving picture world, I will never forget the terrible cry that rang out from people who were thrown into the sea and others who were afraid for their loved ones. The Titanic became one of the biggest news stories of the new century as the Carpathia sailed for New York with survivors. Many clamored for news about the tragedy. So obviously this is a time where it's not easy to, you don't receive news instantly. So everybody Mm. is obsessed with what's going on. Um, Now, the movie producer and Dorothy's boyfriend, Jules Brulator, he sent a film crew to meet the returning survivors. So he knew that Dot was aboard the Titanic. He had asked her to come back. So he had actually said, uh, you know, that's perfect. I know when you're coming back. All good. So he is seeing like, Dollar signs over this accident. Yeah. Um, but he, so he sent a film crew to meet the returning survivors, but he didn't go to the docks because he was still married. And if he had have met with Dorothy, um, he was afraid of his reputation because that's going to cause a scandal. So what a jackass. Red yeah. flags. Um, Brillator and Gibson did meet up later that night um, during an emotional reunion. Brillator proposed to Dorothy Gibson and... He also asked her to star in a movie about the Titanic. (laughs) Okay, this this gentleman has very poor taste and bad timing. Correct. Just going to put that out there. Yeah, so basically he's like, oh, babe, I couldn't come and get you on the docks because, like, obviously it's a bit, you know, hashtag awkward (laughs) because I'm still married and, you know, that would have looked super sus because you're just a hottie and I would have wanted to make out with you. Also... Oh my God, will you marry me? But also, could you do a movie about the most horrendous experience that you've just gone through? Um, Dorothy was like, okay, sure. (laughs) So shooting began days later. So Dot has literally slept for 26 hours. Then Jules 
douchebags come over and said, you know, oh, God, I missed you. Marry me. Also, good idea for a film. Mm. So uh, the film Saved from the Titanic reenacted Gibson's experience with a couple of changes. So instead of heading back to America to star in movies uh, produced by her lover, because that storyline <laughs> wouldn't have gone down so well. Give yourself away, babe. Yeah. Gibson's character named Miss Dorothy, good one, she boarded the Titanic to marry her beau, a Navy officer. Sure. So, okay. Um, Gibson even wore the same evening gown and coat from The Tragic Night. So Ugh. let's put you in the same clothes that you remember all of that happening. Let's make you reenact the whole thing. What a great idea. Just days later. It's, it's horrendous. Poor Dorothy. Um, now, Save Them from the Titanic premiered on May 16th, 1912, a month after the Titanic sank. Goodness. Um, and I guarantee you it probably was really popular or something. Well, yeah, look, I mean, this, they went on to um, say in the, the moving picture news, the startling story of the world's greatest sea disaster is the sensation of the country. Miss Dorothy Gibson, a heroine of the shipwreck and one of the most talked of survivors, tells in this motion picture, uh, most motion picture masterpiece of the enthralling tragedy among the icebergs. Mm. Now, Gibson's experience on the Titanic had left her shaken. In public, she promoted the film. So she said, the nation and the world has been profoundly grieved by the sinking of the Titanic. And I had the opportunity to pay tribute to those who gave their lives on that awful night. That is all I tried to do. In private, she completely withdrew and she left show business pretty soon after that. I was about to say, was the, the tagline of the movie too soon? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it should have been. Um it's yeah, saved from the Titanic too soon. Oh, um, why are we doing this film yeah. too soon? Well, yeah, it was, I feel really bad. And just, it just leaves a really, obviously again, I don't know all of the circumstances surrounding it, but at the same time, her boyfriend, Jules, he's the, he's the studio executive. So he's got a bit of like, obviously he's thinking about his checkbook. Um, yeah, it's not ideal. So maybe we could even count that as Dot being in the wrong place at the wrong time when she met this Duno. Yeah, like, absolutely. Her first wrong place, wrong time has fallen in love with this douchebag. But yeah. I I don't I can't really, you know, we can't forget that men do not have the best history in this planet and world. We Correct. we are sometimes yeah. Some pretty douchebaggy things. Mm. And this is, you know, this is 1912 as well. I would like to think the world's changed a little bit since then. Um, but circling back, um, because I love that term, uh, circling back to that relationship she was having with Jules. Um, now, he was also obviously one of the producers. Um, so we can assume that he was, you know, responsible of, partially responsible even, of having Dorothy relive that nightmare soon after it happened. Um, now... A year after this event uh, and then, you know, the movie after what she had just gone through, poor Dorothy, she found herself in the wrong place at the wrong time yet again. And this time it was because she accidentally struck and killed a person while she was driving Jules Brulatore's car, which oh. in turn exposed their affair. 
So oh. during the court case um, that followed that accident, that that incident, the press learned that Dorothy uh, was Brulatour's mistress, and although he and his wife had separated, the humiliation of the whole thing caused Mrs. Brulatour to sue him for divorce. Ugh. This was, yeah, this was finalized in 1915, and in order to preserve his reputation, Brulatour married Dorothy in 1917. Cheers, Dal. Appreciate it. Yeah, there's a lot of people in the wrong place at the wrong time for there that really whole. Was I know, I know, and that's just, yeah. She's been through so much tragedy and then to be, yeah, involved in that as well. Um, yeah, you can't quite imagine. Um, so we're at 1917. Poor Dot's had a time. Not a great start to the century, hey? <laughs> no, not really. And uh, in addition to that, the marriage to Jules was short-lived. Within two years, the couple had separated. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the more sceptical, which is usually me... Am no. I the more sceptical? It's maybe I'm, you. Yeah. Okay. So Dom might argue that perhaps the marriage failed because it lacked spark and excitement um, because it wasn't secret anymore. Uh, but the original Mrs. Brillator also played a role in destroying the relationship that had helped to ruin hers. Mm. So she was like, nah, I'm not happy about this. Um she fought them really hard. So, you know, the first Mrs. Brillator was like, nah, you guys, uh, it's illegal. You got a divorce in Kentucky instead of New York. And it was just a super drawn out, long, complicated thing. And the stress of that, like Dorothy was probably like, wow, like how much do I really love this guy? Because this divorce that he's going through is just dragging me through the dirt and the mud and I don't want a bar of it. Um, but their, yeah, their relationship. So Jules and Dorothy's relationship was dissolved in 1919. So she was like, I'm done. She never remarried. She was humiliated. She was exhausted. She was over it. So she was like, New York is no longer for me. Off I go to Paris, uh, in the hopes of a fresh start and a quiet life with her mother, Pauline. But Dorothy's story doesn't end there. Oh my god, I'm just exhausted from I know. from hearing about all that she's probably gone through. And I reckon the marriage probably broke up because she realized Jules was a douchebag. Like, yeah, pretty know. much. There's just too much going on. You'd just be <laughs> like, "Oh, dude, this is a lot for me. This is a lot of baggage. I got to go. Let's just cut and run. I'm off to Paris. Bye. Yeah. Come on, yeah. Pauline. <laughs> Grab your coat. <laughs> We're off and to your knickers. <laughs> and your knickers. We might need them. Um, so now, 1919, we're 10 years out from a depression, aren't we? That's going to happen sometime too. What else is happening? <laughs> now, the next time that Dorothy was interviewed, we're jumping forward to 1934. And she says, oh my, what a time I'm having. I never cared much for motion pictures, you see, and I'm too glad to be free of that work. Uh, the former star then went on to say, I've had my share of troubles, as you know, but since coming to France, I've recovered from that and I feel happy at last. Yay. But Dorothy was worried that her luck would change. She said, I have, <laughs> I've had my dream life and I'm sure someday a dark cloud will come and wash it all away. Um, yeah. This was around like a time in, in Europe, which Dom... Do you, does anything, I've got a couple of things, but does anything ring-a-ding-ding-a-bell of Europe in 1939, does that any sort of, so, I mean, The Wizard of Oz came out, but that's not quite the, as did Gone with the Wind. 
Wow. Two pretty impressive movies. Yes. Good, positive, mostly happy times in those. Uh-huh. But uh, no, that part of the world was just about to go through some pretty shitty times. Yes. So there was Ugh. just a, there was a little thing. And if you're not sure, you can Google it. Um, but there was a little thing called World War Two. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. Um, that was getting started uh, around this time. So basically, Pauline and Dorothy are certainly in the wrong place at the wrong time, maybe the most wrong place, wrong time (laughs) in terms of the world and what was going on. But here's a thing, Dominic. I asked your father, who is quite wise, he knows lots of things. I was curious and I asked him, what is, like, how do people decide on a date to declare what, like, to say, yes, today is the day of war. And then that goes in the history books. So I didn't know the answer to this question. So I had to look it up. And your dad at the time was like, I don't know, off the top of my head. I don't know the exact answer to that. But essentially, I looked up that bad things have to happen for quite some time. Um, And then, you know, countries are like, hey, Hitler, can you please stop putting tanks on all our borders? Because that seems threatening. And we're Mm. a bit worried about that. And then, uh, yeah, Hitler did start a war by invading a country. They explicitly said, please don't invade us. And he did it anyway. So they're like, that seems aggressive. I think he wants to war with us. Yeah. I guess Mm. my, I mean, my assumption would be it's different from country to country, how war is declared. But I mean, for instance, I'm pretty sure I understand it for like the States and Pearl Harbor, for instance, Mm -hmm. it took the president informing Congress that this was happening and that it, like, I don't know if it needed to be voted on or anything, but it was more of an address or some sort of notification to the governing body of a, of a country. And then, and then they literally have to get a piece of paper out that says today is the day you done bad (laughs) war happening, signed El Presidente or whoever. And then they just, I don't know, put that in a drawer. And they go, this was the day. <laughs> so when, this is the day. Put it in the history books. Yeah. It's quite, it's, yeah, it was very interesting. But I was always curious about that because they're so specific. It's like World War II started on this date and ended on this date. And it's, it's, I just found that interesting. So maybe one of our listeners learned something. Maybe mm. you didn't, but that's okay. So when World War II started, Dorothy Gibson and her mother, Pauline, they lived in Florence. Now, instead of fleeing, they decided to wait out the conflict. Oh. I don't know if that was a super, you know, super accurate, I mean, super strong decision. However, I do agree with this next part because Dorothy goes on to say, I must say that I didn't really want to make a trip on the ocean to America because my, my mother and I were most timid on the ocean. We had been in a shipwreck, you know. Yeah. <laughs> But I also wanted to stay in Italy. Uh, but we just waited in Italy, always hoping things would get better to travel. <laughs> so, look, I don't disagree with that. That's a believable story. Yeah, she she's got a great attitude. Ship. I'm sure this is all in hindsight. <laughs> but my God, she's just like, look, you know, it just didn't feel like it. And if you were going to be stuck anywhere, Florence is a great place to be stuck normally. But, you know, yeah. Italy was definitely not a great place to be during mm. World War during II. During this time. It was a bit tricky. Now, following this narrative, uh, Dorothy and her mother essentially found themselves trapped in Nazi-occupied territory. However, 
Other accounts suggest that the decision to remain was made willingly. You see, Pauline had been listening to the radio and reading the news and she was thinking, I tell you who's got some great ideas, that Hitler. Dorothy, have you heard of Hitler? He is quite the fella. He's got some real pizzazz about him. (laughs) Of course. There are suggestions that the pair led by Pauline um, had actually become fascist sympathisers and potentially even Nazi spies. Oof. Hard to say. Hard to say. Now, by the spring of 1944, Dorothy had renounced her sympathies, if indeed she had any to begin with, but she was soon arrested as an anti-fascist agitator and she was jailed in the Milan prison of San Vittore, uh, which she described as living death. Yeah. Chances are Dorothy would have died in that prison were it not for the help of a double agent, uh, Hugo Luca Osteria, or Dr. Hugo. Hugo, it's U-G-O. Yeah. Um, he helped to smuggle her out of the prison under the pretense that she was a, a Nazi sympathizer and spy. The plan worked and Dorothy escaped to Switzerland where she was interrogated by James G. Bell, vice consul of the American Consulate General. Once again, sources disagree. Some say that the Allied authorities were never able to determine if she was a real Nazi spy or if she was just pretending, while others say that the interrogation was more conclusive. Mm -hmm. Suspicious that she'd actually spied for the Nazis the interrogator eventually concluded that the film star hardly seems bright enough to be useful in such a capacity. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Either way, Dorothy was free. So apparently she didn't look smart enough Uh to to be a Nazi uh, spy. But either way, she either was a Nazi sympathiser and was working for them and then managed to use that as a cover story, or she was not. And, yeah, well, she'd renounced that association. Either way, bit susso, but she was free. So good on you, Dotto. Um, (laughs) After the war, Dorothy did return to Paris, but the trauma of surviving both the sinking of the Titanic and a Nazi prison camp and killing someone with a car, it's just, it was a lot. It took its toll. And she died a few months later in her hotel room, presumably of a heart attack. She was 56 years old. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Now, her mum, Pauline, she outlived her by 15 years. And as she grew older, uh, grew increasingly vocal in her criticism of the Allies and in her pro-Nazi statements, which can suggest uh, that Dorothy herself was unfairly tarred with the same brush, or maybe Dorothy really did share these views, depending on which way you want to look at it. Um. Regardless of that, if there's one point that we can all agree on, it's that Dorothy Gibson lived a life that was nothing short of extraordinary. My goodness, that's to say the least. Yeah. What a time. What a mood. What a vibe. (laughs) What a vibe. (laughs) Dorothy is a vibe. (laughs) 56 years and that's – she's – gone through all of that exactly and it's a bit of a tricky one because yeah was she a nazi was she pretending to be a nazi was she a non-nazi nazi who knows there was a lot that makes yeah. me want to watch the producers actually <laughs> i mean look a lot's going on at that time there's yeah. you know i i don't think it's as easy as as painting everyone in the same 
brush necessarily. Yeah. And if you're in different parts of the world, you're hearing very different things where we have the bigger picture of everything that was going on. <clears throat> so, you know. And just because your mum likes Hitler doesn't necessarily mean that you like Hitler. No. <laughs> so, you know, who knows? It could have been either way. Now, Dom, you asked me earlier about a pop culture reference. Yes. You usually do a film or something like that. And I thought, why don't I stay in theme of what we're doing? We were talking about a movie star. Dorothy Gibson was absolutely a movie star in her own right. Now, uh, there is a part of a film, so a, a fragment um, of a film, and it is called The Lucky Hold Up, and it's available on YouTube, and it's only eight minutes. So it's not the whole film, yeah. but, <clears throat> excuse me, it is. Uh, it was released in 1912, so the same year as the Titanic um, yeah. sinking. And it's a silent film. So I'd play you a clip on here, but it wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> no one would be able to understand. <laughs> no, it'd just be some tinkling pianis. <laughs> there you go. You've just seen the whole movie. Um, so The Lucky Hold Up is the movie that I'm going to promote today. You can go and watch the fragment of that on YouTube with Dor starring Dorothy Gibson. Um, but the film I meant to mention earlier as well, the film saved by the Titanic or saved on the Titanic, yeah. the Titanic movie that she was forced to do when she was still suffering trauma, uh, that was destroyed. There's no surviving <sighs> copy of that film. Wow. There was a fire at Eclair Studios, which was her original, the original, um, studio that she was working for, uh, that pretty much. Yeah, lost every single one of her films aside from The Lucky Hold Up is one of the only ones that you can find any footage of and see. So in terms of her legacy, uh, yeah, there's plenty of stories about her and lots of, you know, podcasts and, yeah, and books such. and things like that. But in terms of her films, it's um, it's quite sad. There's not a lot of her, her films available. That's just, again... What bad luck! Like, I know, can't collect babe. none of those royalties. But exactly. Um, oh wow! My goodness, Kate, mm. what the fuck was that story? <laughs> I know. And again, it does go into so much more detail. There's books and there's all sorts. But you know, I mean, we've already yeah, we're already into our three quarts of an hour time frame. So obviously, I wouldn't have had time to go into more detail. Um, but that does give you. Episode three of our Wrong Place, Wrong Time series, which also happens to be episode 33 of our podcast series in general. Three, so, three, threes. You've just smashed the 30s. Three, three, three. Well done, Kate. You have been such a trooper. Like this topic, it's such an interesting topic uh, and you know, I think it's still definitely, it, it links so much to a lot of our fears when it you does. have no control about bad shit happening to you purely because you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Not just That's once, right. not but twice, sometimes thrice and beyond. Oh, and you could even say a lot of our stories, you know, like just naturally the people are in the wrong place at the wrong time. Like, you know, 127 hours and mm. we've had all of the, the no, axe um, murders and no, all sorts. 127 hours, I've got zero fucking sympathy for that douchebag. <laughs> he did all of that himself. Oh, bless. Dorothy didn't crash the Titanic, but he went she away on his own without a radio and bullshit. He, he nah. did. 
I know. Soft spot. <laughs> Guys, don't ever speak about 127 hours with Dominic if you see him in the streets. <laughs> or do. Oh. He seems if you want a reaction. My goodness, that's the most bloody energy I I've had it. all day. Anyway. <laughs> well, I certainly hope, Dom, that you get some good sleep tonight. I will. I'm going to go and eat a bowl of vegetables now. Uh, and... Congratulations, Kate. You are, yeah, that was epic. Three whole weeks of <laughs> of such amazing storytelling. I've, I've enjoyed it. I'm sure everyone at home has enjoyed it. Um, so, yeah, well done. And I hope so. Thanks for the... joining me. You are most welcome, and 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 guess what? This episode probably yes. something that, that we should, you know, we haven't mentioned before. Oh my goodness me! Of course. But yeah, this episode marks the official launch day of our Patreon. So, folks, as you're listening to this episode, get your ass over to our Patreon. Yes, please. Shitting bricks. It's all the same names and everything yep. as usual. We'll be posting links all over the joint for it. So, please go find it and. Uh, please, you know, buy us a coffee once a month. Yeah, or that's it. Whatever it would 100%. be, hundred percent. Super appreciated. We will definitely be spruiking that some more over the next few weeks. So just be prepared, and we're hoping that the starts of our episodes will now take the form of some shout outs for our incredible Patreons. So we're going to build those num- names and numbers up, and then we're going to uh, incorporate those into our episodes. But we love you all so so much. Please like, subscribe, comment post share send us an email send us pictures of your Birkenstocks and socks love yous <laughs> love you too and I'll be telling my I'll be telling a story next week so you finally get to <gasps> hear from me yay can't wait to hear your sexy voice <laughs> thanks Kate <laughs> goodbye bye bye that's a wrap big shout out to everyone for tuning in to shit and bricks don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us. Plus, you can find extra little nuggets on our socials. Next week, we'll be back talking more shit, so do not forget to tune in. And remember to wipe, flush, and wash your hands. Goodbye. Goodbye.